Good to see all of you. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. You know, recently this, this word that we're going to be exploring this morning has been, uh, I would say there's been two sides to this coin. There was a movie out a while back that talked about a legacy, or I am legacy. And then there was a song that came out that said, I don't want to leave a legacy of myself. I want to leave the legacy of Jesus Christ. So in other words, don't let the story be about my life for Christ. Let it be the story be of Christ himself, which elevates Christ instead of elevating myself. And so as I begin to read about Moses in our study as we go through Hebrews, we begin to see this Moses, a legacy of faith. And so I wondered what the actual definition of legacy was, because we talk about it so freely. We talk about it as a body of work that we leave behind. But it was really interesting. Um, The definition was not what I expected, to be honest with you. And a legacy, by definition, is something received from an ancestor or predecessor. predecessor. And so it's, it's a received, it's something that we received. A story that we say, oh yeah, that's their legacy. And we identify it with them. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Moses' legacy, if you will, um, as we travel through this hall of faith. And so we're going to pick up in verse 23 and read down through verse 29. 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. My parents had the same problem. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not be touched by them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that you will speak to us, that we will hear from you, and Father, that you reveal who you are to us. Thank you for this opportunity to walk through this with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at Moses' legacy of faith, we're going to see his parents' faith, we'll see Moses' faith, and then we'll see Israel's faith, faith. Who Moses was leading. And we begin with his parents in verse 23. We're told that when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months. And they took him and kept him from, from anybody knowing about him. And they said, why? Because he was a beautiful child. And so they hid him away. And it's because they loved him. And they were, there was an edict they weren't afraid of, which was the king's edict. Um, they feared God more than they did Pharaoh. And it's so easy 
to look at the people who have control over us today and have a tendency to fear them over God and make decisions based upon that because they seem more immediate. And so what are we talking about? We're going to go back and read the story in Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 8 through verse 2, 11 and see what was actually going on. This is the setting of these verses so that we can properly understand what was happening with Moses' parents. Verse 8 of Exodus 1. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now you remember Joseph who saved them from the famine, who rescued Israel. Israel came down and uh, his, that was his brother's. Uh, his father, Israel, his brothers were saved and rescued. And they had grown and uh, Joseph had protected the entire nation, including Egypt. And so a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them or else they'll multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and will fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage storage cities, Pitom and Ramses. And, uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. You know, if I wanted to build a relationship with somebody, I would not make their life harder. I would try to make it easier. I would be good to them. This does not make sense, right? Watch how this plays out. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sephara, and the other was named Puah. And he, it sounds like something from the Lion King, doesn't it? <laughs> and he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall put him to death. But if it's daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and not, did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, Why have you done this? Why are you letting these boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife can, can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied. They became, became very, very mightily, mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. So that's what we're referring to in this passage. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it over it with tar and pitch, and she put the child into it, set among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens. Walking alongside the Nile, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid. And she brought her, brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. 
and he had, and she had pity on him and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and call a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women that she that she may nurse the child for you?" Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Go ahead." So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew. She brought him uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. And so that's the setting of what's going on. So here's Moses' mom, who is getting paid to take care of her own son and she hands him over to Pharaoh because Pharaoh had commanded them to kill these children who were these male children who were being born for fear of his own kingdom so he was a little bit of an insecure king if you will he saw the multitudes and he he feared that they would bond together so instead of being good to them he becomes harsh to them and so we see a contrast here, something, someone being led by fear in the decisions he made versus the people living by faith in the decisions that they made. So we have fear versus faith. And the question is for us is how do we make decisions? Because some of the things that were implanted, that were going on in, in Pharaoh's parents' life, we see later in most, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh, but in Moses' parents' life, we see later in Moses himself. And so how we make decisions matter. We need to make them by faith and not by fear. A lot of decisions we make, we make by fear. We're afraid of something. Or we don't share Christ with somebody for fear of losing our job or for fear of losing a friend or losing a family member that we're going to be alienated. Listen, I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you have family members who don't know the Lord, you're going to be alienated for eternity if you don't share with them. And so rather than let that happen, take a chance and go and trust that if the Lord is prompting you, go and talk to them. Go and talk to them about the Lord. Friends, well, I don't want to lose my friends. Listen, your friends need to hear the gospel. Your friends need to know if you're a true friend. You know, what I don't want is one of my friends standing there saying, why didn't you tell me? That would be worse. And so don't be afraid to stand up and share. So we see Moses' parents and the faith that they had. And I mean, can you imagine the amount of faith it took to place your child in a basket and set him among the reeds? You know, I used to picture, I think there was a movie. I don't remember what movie. Maybe it was the movie Moses. Where she puts him in the river and he floats down and gets caught in the reeds. Mm-hmm. You remember that movie? That's not what happened though. So she placed him in the reeds. So he was just sitting there. He wasn't floating down into a trap. She put him there. He never floated. So interesting. Interesting how Hollywood tells us one thing, but God's word tells us something else. And so we see Moses' parents' faith. Well, we move on from there to Moses' faith. See, Moses made decision after decision with his life based on faith. By faith, we're told that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. See, he knew who he was. He knew that he wasn't Pharaoh's or he wasn't Pharaoh's daughter, that he was a Hebrew. And so by faith, what do you mean by faith he chose that? Well, 
he's basically renouncing this safe place as Pharaoh's son. He could have been an heir to the throne to go and become one of the Hebrews, become a slave, which is what he, is what he was. And so he chose ill treatment over the pleasures of sin. And boy, I think that is, honestly, I think that's our decision today. We don't want to endure ill treatment so often that we'll choose pleasure over that or we'll choose the easy road instead of taking a stand for the Lord. And I'm not talking about being rude and obnoxious. That's never acceptable. You can share Christ in a kind and gentle way with people. Sharing of the hope. Sharing your testimony. How He's changed your life. Because Jesus Christ in us is the hope of glory. As Debbie shared with us this morning. And so it's interesting how He does that here. And so He chose that over pleasure. He considered... And get this, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than Egypt's treasures. Man, that is a a rare, (laughs) that's a rare view, isn't it? To consider people being reproached of you because of your stand for Christ, of that having value over treasures. When you see God, when you have a relationship with Him, you understand that there's things beyond the here and now that have greater value. And if you grab hold of Him, and what, are we, what are we instructed to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to us. And I think the reason that second part is there is they were worrying about stuff. And so what he's saying is, quit worrying, seek first God, He'll take care of that. But that's been sold as if you seek him, he'll give you this stuff. We don't seek him to get, we seek him. And, and you know what? If we're truly seeking him, what we should get is him. Because that's what we're seeking, right? Otherwise, it's a deception. How can you fool God? For one second, you can't fool God. He can see it. He sees to the heart of man. And so Moses... He saw the reward. He saw it. He saw it. I love what a friend of mine used to say to me. He said, everybody counts the cost of following Christ. What? I follow Christ, I gotta do this. If I follow him, I gotta give this up. If I follow him, I gotta, you know, I gotta change my life. I gotta get these things, I gotta throw this stuff away. But they never count the cost of not following him. What are they missing out on? Seeing the hand of God reveal Himself in His Word. Seeing Him move in your friends' lives. Seeing people you love turn their life over to Christ. Having insight into His Word. Having fellowship with Him every day. That's what you're missing out on. Why would we give that up ever for anything in this world? It's crazy. And so, God's promises were more real to him than what he could see. And I think that's the crux for us. And the reason God's promises were more real is because he walked in faith. 
We so often want to cling to the things of this life. The truth is, and I've said this before, you don't own anything. You don't own, you don't have any money. You don't have any possessions. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to who? The Lord. They're all, it's all His. If he wanted the stuff that I think is mine, he could snuff me out and take it. It's his. We're stewards. I don't have anything. And Moses saw that. He wasn't tied to this world. By faith, we're told, that he left Egypt, not fearing Pharaoh. He split. He left when the time came. He went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Here's this one who was the son of his daughter telling him. Have you ever thought of that? When you read that exchange between Pharaoh and Moses? Let my people go. Can you imagine how that must have pricked Pharaoh thinking, well, wait a minute. You are my daughter's son. Let my people go. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that in a conversation about what was going on with Pharaoh and Moses. But let my people go. And that had to have affected Pharaoh. And so, but here's why. He left, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing Pharaoh, because he saw him who is unseen. He saw him who is unseen. When is the last time you've seen the hand of God work? When is the last time you've seen the hand of God in your life? When is the last time you've opened God's Word and spoken to you? It's supposed to be a normal thing for all Christians. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know something. You know, I used to sit there and hear that. and You know, I'd read God's Word. And man, I'm going to be honest with you, it was boring at times. You ever read God's Word and just boring? You're like, man, I don't even know if I can read that thing. I used to, I used to open up and I'm like... Oh, I don't want to do this. Let's just be honest, because if we're not honest, what are we doing here? And then one day, God began to speak to me. When I was willing to obey, when I was willing to do what He said, I'd open it up and He'd begin to speak. And begin to change and work in my heart and my life. And it has to do with willingness. And I want you to know something. If you're sitting out there, and you're going, man, this is boring, or I don't get anything out of it. He wants to speak to you that He is willingness. And when we're willing, or and, and, it, and let me give you some hope if you're not willing. Because I went and talked to a pastor once, and he made this statement to me. There was something God had been convicting me of, and I wasn't willing to let it go. You ever been there? You ever thought, well, wait a minute, you don't understand, this thing's important. <laughs> He said, you just need to be willing to be made willing. And I thought, that's pretty good advice. And so I was willing to let God change my want to. And that's how I started to pray. And then things started to open up. And that's, that's more real. And so when you, listen, when you catch a glimpse of God in His hand, you're going to fear no man. <laughs> There's no man. We're the creation. He's the creator. 
He spoke this thing into existence. Light exists because he said, let there be light. There would be no light if it wasn't for him. Let me tell you. The only way I would believe in the, in the Big Bang is if it, were, it says, uh, God spoke it and bang it happened. God created this whole thing. You can prove it. I can prove that to you from God's Word and from what we see today. There's evidence. It's everywhere. We were talking about this this Wednesday. And I asked the question, I said, how old was Adam and Eve the day they were created? It's not a trick question. It's in the the question. The answer is in the question. They were one day old, right? And they were told to procreate that day. Go and be fruitful and multiply. So they weren't like we have, we like Stephen, Stevie, is a baby. He's not one day old. He's one year old now. Everybody say hi to Stephen. <laughs> they weren't little babies. They were adults. So he created them with age. But they were only one day. And that's just one point among 15 others. Just something to think about. That's our rabbit trail for today. And so when you catch a glimpse of God, you'll fear no man. By faith, not only did he refuse to be called Pharaoh's daughter, he trusted that God would take care of him, and not Pharaoh. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing him, not fearing Pharaoh, because he feared God. By faith, he kept the Passover and was untouched by the one who destroyed the firstborn. So that took faith. That hadn't happened yet. And he applied the blood to the to the the doorpost and the lintel. And when the angel came through, he passed over him. That's where the word Passover comes from. They were passed over into life and not death. And so he took God's instructions seriously and acted on them. I think that's part of what faith is. Faith is taking God's word and saying, I believe this and I'm going to live based upon it because I believe it. That's where faith happens. Faith is not mental assent. Faith is not saying, yeah, I believe in God. Faith is We are saved by grace through what? Faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. So that takes it back out of our hands. It's not the works you do. It's the faith that you have. When you go from belief to acting on it, you have moved from belief to faith. That's why James says that faith without works is dead. Well, dead means there's no life, right? That's usually what dead means. So you can say you have it, but you see my faith by my works. Because the works that we do are the faith. So we cannot operate in the realm of faith and do nothing. It's all through here. And so Moses' faith allowed him to see past his circumstances to what God was doing around him and through the circumstances he was facing. Boy, circumstances are a big deal today. You ever have circumstances happen in your life and it makes you question your faith? (laughs) I know. Well, for the three of you who shook your head, I'm there with you. 
For the other three who said amen, I think that's everybody. Everybody else is traveling. But we have circumstances, and for some reason, and I'm there with you, and I hate that I'm, I don't hate that I'm with you, I hate that I'm also in this place. For some reason, that causes us to question a God who never changes. A God who's always faithful. A God who's long-suffering. A God who loved us so much that he gave his own son to die for us. Why would circumstances cause us to question that? Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, but I do, I've done it too. I do it too. I'm not, listen, there ain't no, I'm in this with you guys. We're doing this together. That's the only way we can do it. We're called to that. So seeing where God is working will allow you to walk in faith. It will. It will. But see, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with Moses. We see Israel's faith. The last verse, verse 29 We see that. Now after being led by Moses all the way to the Red Sea, Israel responds when they face the situation that seems impossible. Can you imagine somebody pursuing you and you coming to this the Red Sea and going, oh, thanks a lot, dude. You led us right to the edge of the water and now they're gonna they're gonna kill us. I mean, if we're only talking about what we can see, that's what they could see, right? Now what do we do? They've got us cornered. There's nowhere to go. We can swim for it. But then we're easy pickings. That's what they can see. If we live and continue to stay in a realm of of operating with God only based upon what we can see, we're never going to move into an area of walking in faith. And what are we told in Hebrews about being pleasing to God? (laughs) Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So we are going to constantly be in situations where we don't see everything, where we don't know everything, we don't have all the details. Because if you have all that, where does faith need need to exist? Where God says, just trust me. Have you ever been in a situation and prayed and God said, do you trust me? Isn't that fun? But we have to trust Him and act based upon that. And so we see by faith Israel passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Imagine two walls of water. Anybody here been to the Universal Studios thing on the tram? They do that, and then when you're halfway through, Jaws comes up. But that's not in the Bible. <laughs> but you go, can you imagine, you're not at Universal Studios, you're fleeing for your life. These, these two giant walls of water, and they say, get going, the Egyptians are coming. If these things collapse, you're dead. You're dead. There's no, I mean, water 
We have flash floods. If you go stand out in two feet of water, you're going downstream, folks. And and they're going on dry ground. That water didn't come down until the Egyptians got there. I actually have photos. I said there were some scuba divers that went, I need to find this stuff. Mm -hmm. I have photos of divers that went in the Red Sea and found gold chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea. This stuff was real. We see Israel. And where do you think Israel got this faith from? They watched Moses. They saw his life. They saw this guy give it all up. Why would he, I mean, I didn't sit there going, what is he doing? Why is he renouncing all of this privilege to come live with us? And they're getting harsher on us. You know, when things are harsh, people want to leave. They don't want to stay. They don't want to be your friend. We don't want to draw near when people are mean to us. We want to get away from them. Makes no sense. Listen, when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. What this reveals is what Israel did in crossing the Red Sea wasn't natural, it was supernatural. And I want us as Christians, brothers and sisters, not necessarily as new life, as Christians, to live in the supernatural with, with what God can do, not what we can do. Because God can reach anybody. God can use us. He, has he ever, you ever felt led to something to go, really, I mean, I'm not skilled in that. <laughs> right? And that's part of the reason God picked you. Because if and when he uses that, he gets the glory. If it's something that I'm good at, then there's a chance I could take credit unless that's completely surrendered. You know, we, it's so funny. I was, somebody was telling me, telling me this, and I, and I began to ponder it, and it kind of went further than what they had said to me. How many of you have ever surrendered your weaknesses to the Lord? You ever done that? You know, Lord, I'm just not good at this. I turn this over to you. I ask you to help me with that. How many of you have ever surrendered your strength to the Lord? Who made you? God made us, right? Did he give us strengths and weaknesses? You think maybe he gave us some strengths that he could use for his glory? But we hold on to them like they come from us. Instead of surrendering our strengths to him and letting him use those. Because I think when they're surrendered and we understand that God gave it to us and we're not, like I'm not, I can't say that I'm, I'm great at this on my own or this on my own or this or anything. Where's, where's my math people? This is good at math and accounting and stuff. This is bad, eh? We don't got nobody. <laughs> that was a bad idea. <laughs> Where's my English people? But, oh, hey, we got some there. Arts, literature, PE. 
<laughs> but we're only good at what we're good at because God gives us the understanding and the ability to do it. He could pop our hip out of joint and we couldn't barely walk again. We've seen that in Scripture. And so, listen, Israel saw this. When the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. <laughs> listen, your faith will affect those around you. Your faith, and it should. It should affect the people around you. You are not an island. People are watching. And the question is, what will they see? People are watching. Are they going to see somebody who's honest in their walk? It's not part, you know, I used to think, you know that verse where Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You ever read that? I used to think I had to be perfect in front of everybody. And the only person that I was fooling was myself because everybody else saw I wasn't perfect. It doesn't work. And then if you have to be perfect to be used, then everybody's going to say, well, then I can't be used. Because I'm not perfect. But the truth is, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And it's not about our perfection, it's about His. Amen. It's not about what Mark can do. Compare what Mark can do to what God can do. And that's the beauty of a legacy of faith. His parents had it, he had it, and affected a whole nation. And so your faith is never wasted. Sometimes we think, man, you know, I put my faith in and then things didn't turn out the way I thought. You ever had that happen? Or you prayed and then it didn't turn out the way you prayed. You prayed and you thought God didn't answer your prayer. What I found to be true is sometimes that is the answer to prayer. And it wasn't what I expected, but it was still God's answer. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes I'm praying for relief for something that God sent to make a change in my life. And so that storm ain't going away until it does the work. So instead of praying the storm out of your life, ask God to open your eyes to the lesson he has for you. If you want the storm to leave, now don't try to manipulate God. You know, God, show me this because I really want this thing to go away. God's not, God is not manipulated. And if that's part of why you're going to pray that, tell him. Be honest with him. So I really need to know this and I really would wish I want this to stop, but I also want to know. Just be honest with God. And if, if you feel like God has let you down, tell him that. How can I ever tell God that he let me down? Because that's the truth. If that's the way you feel, then that's the truth of how you feel. And when you begin to deal with the truth of how you feel, God can begin to work. And so what do we learn about this, about Moses, or about faith from Moses? We learn a few things. Parents play a vital role in their children's faith. You can't affect you. Now listen, there's two sides to this. 
You can show them, you can do everything that you can do, but your children still have to make their own decisions. But if they see it in you, that will affect what they have to consider. And I want you to parents, I mean, I'm sure all parents have had some disappointments with their children. That's my father. <laughs> They've had disappointments. Not because of anything they've done, but because choices their children have made. Can you do it perfect and have your children still make bad decisions? Yeah. You remember Adam and Eve? Who was Adam and Eve's parents? God. He did it perfect. And they blew it. They only had one thing. They only had one thing and they blew it. Both of them. He didn't stop them and she went and ate. And he's oh, okay, I'll eat it too. He was there when the command was given. And so teaching them right from wrong, showing them your faith, and the lessons you teach them affect them for the rest of their life. It will. It will. Two, we cannot fear, we cannot let fear of man dictate our faith. We cannot let the fear of man dictate our faith. We are, we get afraid of what people will do or what's going to happen or, you know, I don't what they're going to say or what happens when they find out. You know, I hope everybody knows you're a Christian because of how you live and the choices you make. And so how do we make our decisions? Think about that. Not for my sake. Because I don't matter. Jesus is the one that matters. How do you, the decisions I've made, how have I made them? Have they been led by the Lord? Or have they been led by other things? Three. Faith is contagious, so be infectious. We to make that a t-shirt. Faith is contagious, so be infectious. People catch it when they, when they see somebody walking in faith and the hand of God working in and through them. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we're seeking? We really should be seeking Him. But we want Him working like that in us. And so, be so filled with faith that anyone around you has to make a decision if they're going to put their faith in God. Be so filled with it. Faith takes the things that other people see and fear and hears the voice of God and says, God is the way. You know, I remember this uh, the young boy that I was talking about. I need to get his father to come down and talk to us. But um, he, was, he was nine years old and was doing missions work. And these gorillas came. They were in, a, they were in another country. They were, these gorillas came around and everybody scattered. But him, he went out there. <laughs> nine years old and you know they're kind of looking at this little kid coming out you know kids get a little bit of leeway so kids you have actually an advantage over us and the guy pointed his gun at the little boy 
he said, I, you know, he said, I could take your life. And he said, that's okay. <laughs> and he said, if you do, I'll be in heaven. But if somebody took your life, where would you be? And he started preaching the gospel to all these men with these guns loaded. Half of them peeled off and half of them received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Nine years old. I don't care how old you are. Who in here is over nine years old? Who in here is way over nine years old? <laughs> God can use a little boy. Can he use you? Why are we sitting and not doing what we should? And so, I like it. Faith is contagious, so be infectious. Make them, the world, make a decision about Christ because they know you. You know, there's, I read this story about this guy who, they bought a bunch of uh, exercise. They were going through that phase where they were going to get in shape. You ever done that? How many, how many of you have ever owned a treadmill clothes hanger? <laughs> a treadmill closet at one time, right? You just hope the dust doesn't get on your clothes that you're hanging on it. We buy equipment, and they bought all this equipment because they were going to get in shape. And so they had a bike, and they had a treadmill, and they had free weights, and they had all this stuff. And they had books and tapes, because that's what we do. We grew up in a generation where it happened on TV. And there, it says, this is what they were, it said, our physical tone didn't improve like we intended. And we didn't get stronger. Why? Because we didn't use them. Our great intentions didn't change our physical appearance. To have these tools do any good, you have to actually use them. And you can't let them lie around the house. That's what happened. And I think that that's the great missed opportunity we have as Christians today. I think Christians all over the world do not realize the tools we have in Jesus Christ and in the indwelling Holy Spirit and we're folding. We're folding to political correctness. We're folding when it comes time to stand up and share. And I'm not telling you to get out there and be obnoxious. I don't believe in obnoxiousness. But I think in a kind way, we need to stop folding and we need to start standing. I can't remember who said it. I know somebody out there will know. But somebody said once that evil only wins when good men do nothing. Y'all remember back in school? I was in middle school. They used to pray before school began. Remember that? Gone. As we, we sat on our hands. Now they can't even pray at a football game that somebody doesn't get hurt out there. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's slipping away. And it's not because the evil is pushing. Because darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness exists when light is absent. 
And so as long as we remain absent, the darkness will seem to flood in this nation and this world. But when we flick on the light, the world is going to see something different. And they're going to hate us. So if they hated me, I'm they're going to hate you too. And they're not going to hate us because uh, we're bad people. They're going to hate us because <laughs> the darkness hates the light. And it runs from it. And so the time has come to leave, leave a legacy of faith. The legacy of faith I hope that I leave does not focus on me. Doesn't focus on how great a faith Mark had, but how great Jesus Christ is whom Mark had faith in. Does that make sense? And so, let's get our adjustment. You know, when our back gets out of line, if you ever, anybody ever done the chiropractor before? Mm-hmm. How many of you fear chiropractor? Yeah. They're going to break me in half and I'm never going to walk again. But when we're out of alignment, have you ever had a car that was out of alignment? You go get your tires and you're, oh, you're way out or you're going down the road and you take your hand off the wheel and your car goes, Here. it doesn't go the way it's supposed to be going. And that's what happens when we get out of alignment with God. We don't go where we're supposed to and we're fighting the whole time. And that's what you're struggling with. That's what you're feeling. That pull, that tug, that get the alignment back with God and it'll roll smoothly down the road. That's what we're after. That's why we come together. I was thinking about this verse this morning. It didn't even come up. I'm just going to throw it out there and leave it. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that you may encourage one another unto love and good works. Amen. That's why we meet, ladies and gentlemen. We're not here doing our thing for God. We're here to encourage one another. You're supposed to be encouraging me unto greater love and greater works. And I'm to do the same for you. Paul wrote that he wished that our love for one another, he wished that we had the love for one another. James wrote about that. John wrote about it. First John, read it. It's important. It's important that it not be lip service, but it be life service. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. 